This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. It's Mark Madden Super Genius. Welcome to the Mark Madden Podcast, no longer unfiltered. But still damn entertaining, if I do say so myself. Uh, the breaking Steeler news is that their game on Sunday, November 20th, at home against Cincinnati, which was originally scheduled to be a night game, has now been flexed back to the late afternoon game, the uh, 425 start, I believe it is, uh, because the Steelers aren't good. Cincinnati's not great, as it turns out. Probably going to make the playoffs, but they have their ups and downs, and they're currently 5-4. and four. But I like to think that the decision was made to flex the game to earlier so that we can all go to Jurgles that night out in Warrendale and watch Winger. Makes sense to me. 17, headed for heartbreak. Madeline, can't get enough. These are the hits that shaped a generation. So watch the Steelers in the late afternoon on Sunday the 20th and catch Winger at Jurgles that night. I'm joined now by my co-host, Tom Opperman. Tom, you have no intention of going to see Winger, do you? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't. Uh, we will have Red Beach on the show, though, of course, to promote that. Right. And I'm sure you were down on your knees thanking the heavens that that news came down that the game was flexed that, that, to 425. A uh, little uh, strong? Uh, I was, for sure. A, a bit strong, yeah. Working but- those late-night games for the network is brutal, especially the Monday after. You're here till like, 3 in the morning, so it was like manna from heaven for me. Well, doing the viewing parties late-night uh, sure. is no bonus. Uh, I will be, I believe, at the GOAT Sports Tavern uh, in Seven Fields, not far from Warrendale, so I can just do the drive across after the Steelers game. But, uh, yeah, uh, it really shows how the mighty have fallen when what was thought to be by some a battle for uh, the top of the division or, you know, something approximate. At the very least, a battle for wild card position. Yeah, a, a battle, you know, the Steelers trying to get in a wild card. Yeah, and Cincinnati. I mean, I'm not surprised they're not quite as good this year as they were last or you I thought they arrived a bit early last year and now I do see a Super Bowl hangover although boy when they're good they're very good yeah they're very up and down this year uh although they kind of remind you of last year in a lot of ways because they were kind of floating around this 500 mark all season last year big wins bad losses and they were surprised to a lot of people and then they got hot late 
I still am kind of waiting for them to flip that switch and get hot late. I thought they were going to do it before that Cleveland game, and then they got blown out. And I think they will make the playoffs. I think they will, too. And, again, I'm going to buy into what we saw against Carolina on Sunday as them kind of flipping that switch, and I'm going to look for them to win the majority of their games moving forward. And I think NBC does, too, because I think they're, they think they're going to kill the Steelers. Well, I think it's safe to say that the Bengals have displayed neither the dominance nor the consistency of winger. So this was a, a move... To, to put this game in proper perspective and also to give Winger... I mean, how many people would have gone to Warrendale to see Winger if the Steelers were playing at the same time? I would not have, and I love Winger. I would have had to work the viewing party. Right, and a 2-6 and six Steelers, too, at that. A team that has no chance of going anywhere this year and is probably going to get killed. There would probably have been, like, what, 10 people in that bar? Is that generous? What, for, for, for Winger? For Winger. No, there would have been more. But they would have been at the bar watching the Steeler game. I remember once I saw... Um, Reb and his solo band at Jurgles when the Pirates played the Cubs in that wild card game with Jake Arietta. Oh. And so I was watching the game kind of over Reb's shoulder. It was it was actually I mean, you know, uh, Reb soloing and Kyle Schwarber hits a ball onto a boat. It was uh it, it was it was quite the split screen effect to be sure. Uh no, they they would have drawn a, a decent crowd uh, even with the Steeler game, I'm not sure that, that the audience necessarily crosses over that much. Right. But but now I think they'll do pretty well. So, well, we've done enough to plug Winger at Jurgles <laughs> Sunday night, the, the November the 20th. Uh, the Steelers are 2-6. and six. And might I had to get one more Winger comparison, and that approximates when Beavis and Butthead debuted and the uncool kid, Stewart, uh, wore the Winger t-shirt. This is if, if, if Beavis and Butthead... Redebut today, Stewart might be wearing a Steelers t-shirt. <laughs> uh, how much blame do you put on Mike Tomlin? I, I talk about this a lot on my show, but but I don't feel like the truth is told by enough people. you got bad drafts, bad hires, an outdated philosophy, three playoff uh, wins in 12 years, counting this year, zero playoff wins in six years, counting this year. How much of that falls on him? I think you have to put most of the blame on the person that has most of the input on the franchise. You know, people want to blame Matt Canada, and Matt Canada has a lot of blame to take on his shoulders, but Matt Canada's there because of Mike Tomlin. And a these, clearly lazy hire. Yes. A guy already on payroll, already cheap, already in the building. The past draft classes, not picking an offensive lineman in the first couple of rounds since, what, was Dave DeCastro? 2012. 2012. No, uh, no offensive lineman chosen in the first two rounds since 2012. No defensive lineman chosen in the first two rounds since 2014 with Stephon Tewitt. Both of those guys have retired. They got drafted, played, and retired and have not been properly replaced, at least in the auspices of taking someone of like pedigree in the first two rounds. It was funny. I was watching the Rams-Buccaneers game on CBS this weekend, and Romo was saying something similar about the Rams. They hadn't taken a lineman with the first two-round draft pick since 2015, and I was sitting there going, 2015? I'd kill for 2015 right now. Yeah, and, and that refusal to address the trenches is the biggest reason they stink now. It really is because they are they are helpless in the trenches. They like Philadelphia, who are it's the biggest good, reason why they're good. Right, right. They're great on the offensive and defensive lines. They just battered the Steelers. That was that was just despicable. How big an advantage they had uh, at the line of scrimmage on both sides. And not to disparage Miles Sanders, who I think is a pretty decent back. But it kind of just goes to show you how when you have the trenches built up, right. running backs are really plug and play. Right. Um, Matt Canada nonetheless remains the great Satan, and it is my opinion that he is not fired because if he did get dismissed, 
the offense wouldn't get any better, and then Blaine might move to Tomlin and pick it. You think he's always good at covering his blind side, Mike Tomlin, making sure there's always adequate blame to go around, not on his shoulders? I think that's done uh, as exemplified by the way he controls everything. The draft, the defense, head coach, you know, he, he, he has his fingers in so many pies, but very few people actually blame him for anything. Well, on the part of blaming Pickett as well and using Canada to kind of shield Pickett from the blame, I really don't know if even if they fired like who do you think Steelers fans and I guess there's a lot of crossover here with the Pickett believers and Pitt fans as well. But of that group, like where would they go to blame first if Canada was out of the equation? Tomlin or Pickett? Like that's a tough choice We're for me. We're never going to know. Now, Frank Wright got fired as the uh, head coach of the Indy Colts. He is a good offensive mind, although you wouldn't know it by the Colts offense since Andrew Luck retired. I've I've never seen a franchise more damned by a player making an unexpected move than Indianapolis when Andrew Luck retired. They've had a different starting quarterback in each season since then, and none have turned out any good. So I don't know if we should be throwing bouquets at Frank Reich for the job he did at Indy, but he is renowned as an offensive mind, and now there's a, a groundswell by the mob anyway. I don't think the the team will consider but to hire Frank Reich or somebody of that ilk as the offensive coordinator to get a guy in that job of pedigree and pay him accordingly. Yeah, I don't know if I really blame, you know, what happened with the Colts on Frank Reich completely, because I think it was a collective Ursay, Chris Bauer, the GM, and Frank Reich in the way they tried to approach replacing Andrew Luck. Uh, Reich was really good at bringing Carson Wentz along when he was young and a rookie in Philadelphia, and played his best football of his entire career. It was a move that made sense, even if it did not work. That's one thing fans don't want to hear. But what I'm, They don't want to hear that the right move yeah. was made and didn't work. Like when the Penguins uh, uh, traded Flurry and kept Murray, it was the right move, just didn't work. Same thing with Reich bringing in Carson Wentz. But I'm a little surprised that the Colts as an organization didn't try to eat it for a year or two and get a younger quarterback in there and try to build back up that way. Because I think that's where Reich's good at, is taking someone who's very moldable like maybe a Kenny Pickett, and then making him into a solid NFL quarterback. But you don't think they're going to hire a guy like that, do you? No, he's smarter than Tomlin. There you go. Uh, now, now I think one of the greatest stories in recent sports history, and I'm not exaggerating, is Jeff Saturday replacing <laughs> Frank Reich as the head coach of Indianapolis. Uh, it, it is a direct slap at everybody who was already on staff in Indianapolis, a direct slap at every minority candidate who is more qualified then Jeff Saturday, they hired a cheerleader because he's visible. He was on ESPN. He's a, uh, a a semi-legendary figure with the franchise, you know, in their ring of honor, whatever it is they call what they do to honor past stars. It's just a shocking hire. I mean, you can't say it's bad till he sucks, but that's the way I'm betting. And they're still attaching interim on the front of it, I think. So it's kind of like they're protecting themselves in that aspect as well, where they they could at the end of the year just be like, well, he was just the interim head coach. Well, he may turn out to be interim because if I'm on that staff and I got passed over by a guy who was on TV, I wouldn't help him. You know, you know, Tom, they don't have a single guy on their staff yeah. that's ever called plays before. I know, it's tremendous. That might be the one game you can circle on the Steelers' back half and be like, they have to win this game because that team is just in shambles in Indiana. If I was in the staff meeting and Jeff Saturday said, well, who should call plays? Uh, the staff should say, well, it's going to have to be you <laughs> because ain't none of us doing it. So let us know how that turns out. I mean, this guy coached a, a high school team, a Catholic academy team, uh, for three years and was four games under five hundred. And that, those Catholic academies in high school, as you all know, you can recruit. 
you can bring in talent from all over the place to come in and play for you. So, you should have brought in Carson Wentz. I think you're right. Now, uh, that leads me to my first top three of the day. Top three weird coaching hires. And um, the two are obvious. Jeff Saturday's number one. It's the it's the most weirdest one yeah, you've ever seen, ever. right? Number two, Eddie Olchek being hired to coach the Penguins when he was an announcer. It had had no prior coaching experience, <laughs> and he got the job literally because he was walking past Craig Patrick's office, the GM, and Craig, um, for a number of reasons, uh, wasn't going to do a lengthy GM search, I mean, coaching search. Right. So he just said, hey, Edzo, did you ever coach? The next thing you know, Edzo's the coach. Oh, he did his job that year, right? Did exactly what he was supposed to do for the Penguins, the head coach. Well, yeah, but then Sid came in. That's right. Uh, actually, Edzo kind of is up there with Lou Angotti, right? Who finished last in nineteen eighty four? Okay, maybe, maybe Craig had method to his madness. And the number three, this is before your time. Did you know Notre Dame once hired a high school coach to be the head coach? No, Jerry Faust. I think that name rings a bell. Yeah, he, I want to say it was at Cincinnati Moeller, which was this great. Catholic high school dynasty in Ohio. So they were actually good at high school football, unlike Jeff Saturday. Exactly. Okay. He, would, he would have kicked Jeff Saturday's ass. <laughs> so those are, are my top three weird coaching hires. Some people compared the Saturday thing to like Steve Kerr and Larry no. Bird, uh, you know, getting hired, you know, after never having coached to be head coaches in the NBA. But I don't buy that because that's a different sport. Okay. You're only coaching a, literally a handful of guys. You know, you're not like being a head coach of an NFL team is like being a CEO. Yes. Being the head coach of an NBA team is like being a teammate who doesn't play. Exactly. And the main duty there is to just manage 12 big personalities on your team. That's all you have to do 12 of them. There's 53 plus on an NFL roster, big personalities, the minutia that goes into an NFL season and managing, like you said, the CEO aspect of it. Uh, I'm surprised that guys like Steve Kerr get a job like that. But then again, Steve Kerr kind of opened the door for people like that forever now because of his great success just stepping right into the bench. Yeah, um, and, and certainly had all all that success. Larry Bird, I mean, I don't think he won a championship. He, he was, didn't. He coached Indiana, right? Yeah. But he did a decent job. He's the only player. I'm surprised they never brought him in to coach Boston. I, I think he's the only player to ever win MVP, Coach of the Year, and Executive of the Year because he became the GM for the Pacers right. later. The man was – and the, the best part about it is – kind of on track with his personality, he like kind of coached the team like begrudgingly. He was just like, yeah, I'll do it for like a couple years and then I'm done. And he had great success, but still it kept to his promise. He said, I'm done after a couple years. Now, staying, uh, turning back to the NFL. Oh, and by the way, one other weird coaching hire. There's a movie about it called The Damned United. In in English soccer in the early 70s, I want to say it was 72, uh, Leeds United were the were the uh, preeminent team of the day and, they, and their coach left. Uh, Don Revy to become the head coach of England's national team. And so Leeds hired Brian Clough, who had coached Derby okay. uh, to that point, and, and won a championship with them. They were like kind of a, a challenger to Leeds, and Leeds were a bunch of dirty sons of bitches. They played really <laughs> dirty football, okay? And uh, they were arrogant, and, and, and Coffey's teams were more the beautiful game type of deal. Right. Although Coffey was as arrogant as they came. Well, Leeds hired him, and he lasted like 40-some days. He he didn't intentionally sabotage them, but he did such. He hated them so much that he did a terrible job, and he right. thought he thought he could change them to be like he wanted, and they just turned on him. I mean, the movie "The Damned United" is is uh, is quite excellent. It's, Documentary or no, no, it's a it's, it's a, a retelling. It's a movie, okay, yeah. cool. Who's the English guy that plays all the? He was in the 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 uh, the King's English or whatever that uh, Colin something. Colin Firth. 
Is that his name? Yeah, the guy in the Kingsman, the like the spy movies or the King's Speech is who you're thinking yes, of? The, the guy King's who played speech. the king. That yeah, it's Colin Firth. Yeah, he he played Brian Clough and he was brilliant. He's a great actor, yeah. Uh, so, th- so I recommend that movie highly, but it, it, it's, it, th- I mean, the story, like when you watch the movie, you can't believe, like the first thing he did at practice was he insulted all their players. He showed up like two weeks late for the first practice because he was on vacation. <laughs> and then he said, everything you guys have ever won, you could throw in the trash can because you won them all by cheating. That's like close to a direct quote. And they're like, what? But, uh, but so yeah, that's a, a movie recommendation here on the Mark Madden podcast. Now getting back to the NFL. I've adopted two teams the rest of the season, which which is weird because I, I I'm not really you know really emotionally invested <laughs> in the Steelers. You know, it's not like I'm, I'm I'm letting them go for a year. But I got the Jets at six and three. Yes, because of the boy toy. I think he's hilarious. He's not played great, but they still win. They play well when he just doesn't do much. Like he wins with his legs. He doesn't throw big interceptions. They're, I think they might have the best defense in the NFL. They might. They might. And and they uh, did a really good job when the running back got hurt and they replaced. Him. Yeah, right away. It's, that's the sign of a good franchise that's well run, which is odd to see from them. It's also the sign of a franchise that gets when they have a chance too. Which is weird. Not, not to win the whole thing, but but it would be really important to them to make the playoffs, period. Especially with such a young team, right? Because then you can just keep building that momentum, and hopefully you get a, if the boy toy doesn't pan out, which I'm not saying you won't yet, you get a real quarterback in there to help take this roster to the next level. Uh, and my other, my NFC team is Minnesota at 7-1. I knew that was coming, yeah. Because of my bet on MVP, Kirk Cousins. And his stats aren't great. They're not terrible, but they're not great. But if he goes like 15-2, and two, he's got a shot. He's got a shot unless Jalen Hurts goes sixteen and one or seventeen and zero. Then I think they don't play. Do they know they already did? And Jalen Hurts beat him. Oh damn him! Yeah, that stinks. Well, I need a do over like in in college football. Did you see his odds are still like plus four thousand for the MVP? He's like not moved at all. Yeah, nobody. Well, you know why? Because he he could deserve it. They probably wouldn't give it to him anyway. They'd say it was all Justin Jefferson. They'd give it to him instead. The wide receiver. No, they'd give it to Jalen Hurts. Although I don't know if they'd be inclined to give it to Jalen Hurts either. And Josh Allen now might be out, you know, for a while, if yeah. not the year. The odd they're like log jammed the three are Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, and Allen. They're like the same odds. It shows how simple football is though, because last year the Vikings were six and eight in one possession games. This year they're six and zero, oh, and that's the difference. They play Buffalo this week, and that could have been a great game, but I think Josh Allen's in trouble. Like I was I watching that game, I happened to be watching the Jets in Buffalo, and I saw him flapping his arm like Ronnie Dangerfield and Caddyshack. My arm, my arm. And it reminded me of how Ben acted yeah. when he got hurt, when his elbow exploded. I think it's bad. Because they say it's not necessarily like crazy pain when that happens. It's almost like your arm's asleep. Like you can't feel it anymore. Like you but, but don't then have the nerves. a couple nerves. plays later, he threw a ball 67 some odd yards in the air. Right, which is peculiar, but Twitter doctors who have MDs, of course. Right. They were telling me that it's not so much that you can't uncork a good throw every once in a while, but you'll do a lot of damage to your arm the more you do it, and you just have really no feel. Like you can't. Tell where the ball's going to go. Maybe it's like Henry Rowengartner in that movie Rookie of the Year. Where he slipped on the baseball. Um, is that what he did? Yeah, when he, he slipped on the baseball and he fell on his arm. And then when they, and then when his arm he healed, did it again, he it fl- had that elastic type thing. Yep. It just yeah, maybe maybe Allen will be like that. We we can only hope. Who who was the kid who played? He was he was the, kid the American, American Pie, Pie kid, right? Yeah. yeah. I forget it. It's like Thomas Ian Nicholas. I Thomas think. Thomas Ian. No, Thomas Ian Griffith is his karate is, kid is, guy. Is uh, is Terry Silver? <laughs> so, um, 
Are, are you worried? I'm going to talk about this on my show at length. Are you worried that Kenny Pickett might be in a situation where he can't be any good? Like Trevor Lawrence is obviously a talent, but he's in Jacksonville, and maybe he just can't be good playing there. Yeah, but see, every week, or not every week, but there are times when you see flashes with Trevor Lawrence. Like last week, I thought he played tremendous. And Let it come back and won. two is coming into his own now, too. Well, that, I think, is the perfect offense for him yeah. to be in, and McDaniel is is a wizard. Listen, if Tomlin wants Pickett to reach his ceiling, he's got to go get an offensive mind. He's got to put his ego aside, and he's got to get a guy that knows more about the offense than him. It's not going to happen. I know that's what you're going to say. It's not going to happen. But that's what needs to happen to unlock the most out of this kid. You know one thing that hasn't been talked about enough, and I'm going to talk about it on my show on the X, Kenny Pickett hasn't had one good game yet. No. I mean, I mean, his his high passer rating is something in the 70s. He's usually hovering around 66. No, it's 87. He's like Crosby or Lemieux. He's 87 or 66. Those are all his passer ratings. And the thing that makes me really nervous, Mark, is I see the signs like I see in a Daniel Jones, who is playing better with a great offensive mind at head coach now, and Brian Dable, imagine that. But when they're young, the bigger plays they make are with their feet, right? Like, you see Kenny score the touchdowns with his feet. You see him scramble for some nice third down gains. And I think that's a positive, and I think you need that in your game. But I'd like to see him kind of stand in that pocket and deliver like five straight passes and just attack down the field as a passer. I bet the whole season comes and goes and he doesn't have one good game. One great game, I should say. Like 300 yards, two-plus touchdowns? You don't think that's possible? Yeah, like, I don't think he's going to do like like 28 for 32, you know, uh, three touchdowns, no picks, passer rating up like over 120. See, because he gets to points in games where he's like, 14 for 18, but then you look at his yardage and it's like 68 yards. And it's like, how in the right. hell is that possible? And then when he adds the yardage, the percentage dips. Yes. When they're trying to catch up. When they're up. trying to catch up and throw in the middle of the field for once. Now, okay, let's go to five guys. You want to go to five guys? I have guys? no idea what it is. I may, I may uh, drop the ball here, but, but fire away. All right, today's five guys themes is buddy cops. Buddy cops. Buddy cops. Buddy cop movies or, or cops who are buddies? Doesn't matter. They're just TV shows, movies. A couple of these have been TV shows that were made into movies. Okay. Number one, I'm amazed we don't have a sponsor for this shit. But go ahead. Number one, Schmidt and Janko from Twenty One Jump Street, played by Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill. You know what? I thought that movie was just awful. Oh, really? I think it's but, great. But I thought their chemistry was very good. And I love how they just kind of made fun of the whole like cheesy TV show vibe from it, and the cameo from Johnny Depp and whoever played the other. Character okay, I'm, I'm willing. Street. I'm willing to upgrade a little bit because those those two were good together. I think I think Channing Tatum in comedies is very underrated, right? Yep, yep. Although I was very uncomfortable when he played when he played Danny McBride's gimp in uh, in uh, in This Is the End. He takes off the mask. He's like, "Hey, what's up, guys? What's going on?" Yeah, he he has said that he regrets that, and I think he ought to. <laughs> All right, next That's one. That's GI Joe. He loves me. Next one is also a TV show that was later made into kind of a spoof movie, comedy movie, Starsky and Hutch. Oh, the um, the Ben Stiller Owen Wilson one was brilliant, and Snoop Dogg. As a Huggy Bear? Huggy Bear. Vince Vaughn is the heel, yeah, the bad yeah. guy. That's actually a very funny and underrated movie. Yes. I thought the movie was better than um, the TV series. I, I the think TV the same with 21 Jump Street. Was, yeah, the, right. Both of those were Jump Street and the TV show Starsky Nuts were too serious. I agree with that. The movies put the, put what they should have been into perspective. Yeah, you put the comedic tone to it and it's great. Chips is a lot like that. Those two didn't make my list, but it's the same thing where they kind of take it too seriously in the TV show and then the movie that they made later is just a total spoof. Did did the original Starsky and Hutch, uh, I forget their names, one was Paul Michael Glazer, I think? Yeah, that sounds they right. They made an appearance at the end of uh, yeah, the, yeah, end right. of the movie too. And the car. They have the same exact car yeah. uh, as they do and Ben Stiller kind of like brushes them off to the side like, yeah, whatever. I like what Snoop Dogg saw... Uh, saw uh, Starsky's car and he said 
Damn, Starsky, you moved up a notch in my book. You went notch one. <laughs> it's also a great Will Ferrell cameo in that scene as Earl the Dragon, the yes. guy in the uh, yes. the jail that they have to go to to get the information oh, off and, of. And, and also, Fred the Hammer Williamson is chief of police. <laughs> Damn, Starsky! Uh, an appearance by the Dan Band as well in that movie at the Bar Mitzvah for Vince Vaughn's oh, daughter. Oh, that's right. Yeah, anything with the Dan Band is usually a winner. All right, number three, Turner and Hooch. Tom Hanks and the dog. Nah, I didn't like it. Classic buddy cop tandem, though. Hooch messes with his life. The guy's a clean freak. He's neurotic. Hooch the dog runs in and ruins everything. Didn't they have to put Hooch to sleep at the end? I think that's the alternate ending. (laughs) They should have put Tom Hanks to sleep at the end, because I'm not sure that's one of his biggest roles, or best roles. All right, number four, or should I say number two in ascending order, Crockett and Tubbs from Miami Vice. Yeah, now like here, Miami Vice. Well, here's where they went wrong, too, with the movie remake. They tried to make it serious. They made yeah. it an action movie. They made it drama. Go, they need to make it with the comedic blend to it, like Be- we were saying with Star Miami Skinner. Vice from beginning to end. You didn't like it? No, I didn't like any of it. Not the TV, not the movie. I will say this. Here's the one amusing thing about Miami Vice. I had friends who would drop everything to, to watch, watch that it, show. And they dressed like it, too. And they, they did the shave thing with the 5 o'clock shadow. You know what I mean? There were there was a setting on your razor that became popular because of because of Miami, Miami Vice, Vice. Back then where you could shave down to five o'clock shadow. Yeah, that's why Crockett and Tubbs belong on this list. Even though the show, man, the movie, a little, a little high, a little high up the list. All right, number one, I would have like I, right now of the four you've mentioned, Starsky and Hutch would have been, been right there. One. What about Riggs and Murtaugh? Who were my number? Yeah, one? Yeah, tremendous. That's the number one. Tremendous. Right? Lethal weapon. All the lethal weapons. You know who you're leaving out because you've mentioned. There's about, a ton that I'm leaving out. What about both both uh, both cop buddy pairs and the other guys? I was just gonna say Hoyts and Gamble. Yeah, those are great. Uh, Carter and Lee in the Rush Hour movies. Those are great. Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan. I thought Mark Wahlberg. With uh, who played Will Ferrell's wife in the other guys? Uh, Eva Mendez. Yeah, just him, him drooling over her and saying, wait a minute, is this a joke? You're married to him? And he's like, please, my wife is average at best. Do not go over complimenting her. She'll never stop talking about it. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, he, he, Lethal Weapon. Murtaugh and Riggs are arguably, well, they're for, aren't they the most successful cop buddy combo of all time? Yes, I, I mean, would have to say they that. Had, they did four. There were four lethal weapons, right? I think there might have been five. No, there were four. Okay. At least four. Okay, Chris Rock was in the fourth one. Uh, the third one was the uh, the crooked cop who became the real estate developer. The second was uh, the South African guys deal drugs. And the first one was just the organic, is Rig nuts or isn't he beginning? Uh, oh, you know what's amazing? In post-production, or excuse me, in pre-production for 2023, Lethal Weapon 5. Obviously with those two, because you couldn't That's do That's right, otherwise. they're both in it, yeah. Pesci's still alive. I would bring Chris Rock back, too. Why not? Because he's just married throw them into, all the, in there. into the Murtaugh yeah, family. Yeah, just throw them all in. Um, you know, you know, uh, by the way, a friend of mine, uh, and I've been on set at one of his movies, and I haven't talked to him in years, but he's from West Mifflin, uh, great character actor, was in Lethal Weapon 1, Ed O'Ross. You know, who, you know what character What character playing? was he? He was the guy who was uh, negotiating the heroin deal with uh, Gary Busey, and I, I forget, you know, the, the the major, the general, the colonel, yeah, 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 and like and like and like, he, he, you know, to prove how tough Gary Busey is, they set his arm on fire. Remember that? And you Ed, knew that guy, Ed O'Ross, going, "You guys are out there, man. You're on Pluto." <laughs> so he wasn't the guy who got his arm set on fire. No, 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 he, he was, was the, the guy, guy who commented about yeah, it. Yeah, you guys are <laughs> gone. You're gone. 
Yeah, I, I really like Ed. I I haven't seen him. I used to run him in airports all the time. But yeah, he uh, he did a movie in Chicago that Tim Roth was in. Remember from yes. uh, he's like a Tarantino yeah, guy. Yeah, all the from, Tarantino movies. Right, right. And uh, he invited me to the set. And it was great. I mean, it, Tim Roth was a dink, but but it was it was great oh, I'm sure to it was watch. Yeah, an amazing it, process. It was great to watch how how basic movie shooting really is. How uncomplicated it is. Really, until you. I, I think the putting it together is probably the most complicated part. But like we saw a scene where Ed shot a guy, and it was boring. And then I saw the movie later, and the way it all got tied together, it was great. And how many times did they do it over and over again when you're watching it? No, like, they only did like three takes when I was oh, there. Oh, okay. Yeah, they liked the second one. They did one more just. For the heck of it, I think. Now, here's one that I was struggling with because they're not cops. Where would you put like someone like the Lone Ranger and Tonto? Because you could argue they're one of the most well-known crime-fighting duos. What but about they're... Batman and Robin? See, th- maybe there's a whole other list. Vigilante yeah. buddies. No, but you, but they're not cops. Exactly. The guys you talked about are cops. They're outside the law. What could? What storyline could they possibly come up with for uh, Lethal Weapon Five? Oh, they'll figure something out. Terrorist attack somewhere they've got a thwart. Like, I thought they were. I thought they were. They were kind of desperate in the second one, where it turns out that the South African drug cartel not only killed Riggs's girlfriend but killed his first wife way back when. <laughs> you're not in it for the plot. You're just in it to see those two on the screen together. At this point, if it's Lethal Weapon Five and Pesci, Pe- I don't know Pe- if he's confirmed back, but he better be. Pesci, for some reason, in that over-the-top character, Leo gets fits with yes. those two. Yes, he was tremendous. They're, they're a clear number one, I think, on this five. I guys. agree with that. Okay, now getting back to uh, uh, the uh, regular programming, uh, Penguins are, are making some lineup changes. Uh, they play Wednesday. We're taping this Tuesday. They play Wednesday at Washington. Capitan uh, looks like he's going to be scratched at about time, too. He stinks. He stinks and looks like he doesn't care. I think he's more concerned with what he's wearing after <laughs> the game than what he does during the game. It's about time he's getting scratched, but it really sucks when you look at the cap hit. And he's the main reason, or at least that signing is the main reason why they're stuck with Ty Smith and Wilkes Barre yes. right now. Like that's, I, I know there's obviously other moves you can point to and say, well, that's also a reason why he's down there, but that's just the obvious connection. If you were Ty Smith, how would you feel about that? I'd be pretty ticked right now, right? he's playing great down there. And don't forget, he played, you know, he got drafted and came. I think he came right to New Jersey. And he's probably sitting there extra ticked off because it's like, I didn't do anything wrong. In fact, they love me up there in Pittsburgh. Like, what the hell am I stuck here in Wilkes? Now you got Pedersen on the top pair with Latang. You were calling for that, right? Yeah, but they were trying to trade Pedersen all offseason to get rid of the cap hit. <sighs> I wish Pedersen played like he did this year last year because he probably would have been able to move him. Yeah, but but now you're glad <laughs> you have right. him. And there's no trade to be made. You know, you can't trade no. one of the big names. Dumoulin's untradeable. Kapanen's untradeable. Most trades, you could, Pedersen proved to be untradeable. I mean, what can you do? They tried to trade POJ, couldn't trade him. You can't do anything with Carter until the deadline. You're not going to get anything for Carter at the deadline. You'd just be able to dump whatever the rest is on his salary there for but a contending team. But they think they need him in case Geno gets hurt. To slot up to number two center. He's too old to play that two center role, though. Proved it. Proved it already. What I would like to see them do, two, two moves I'd like to see him do, and I've said this on the show. Like see him use Poolin in the top six if a guy gets hurt because they drafted him first round because he scores and he's never gonna they made him into a checker the minute they drafted him because he scores. Yeah, I think you got to keep the bottom six as intact as you possibly can, unless injury That's what I mean. unless there's an av- yeah right unless there's an avalanche of injuries and you have like to. Philip Hallander's up. up. I would play him. You know, 
10, 12 minutes at Washington. Yeah, I think if you get uh, the more games and the more time you get together with those bottom six, I, I think they'll have the potential to get better as the season goes on. If you're constantly breaking them apart and moving people up and down who aren't suited to play up in the top six, then you're just going to get in trouble. And they are in trouble. And I would also put Sid on the right half wall on the power play. I'd move him out from Don Lowe. I'd put Gino out on the left half wall. If you made me realign the power play as we speak, I'd put... Sid, right half wall. Gino, left half wall. Latang up top. Rust and Gunsel underneath. Rust moves down from the left half wall. Uh, I think Rust would be superior at puck retrieval. You lose Gino's one-timer, but that's too bad because that power play doesn't have a reset point. There's no true point man. Latang's not a point man. He's a guy who plays on the power play. I was just going to say, if they can ever figure out a way around the cap and get Ty Smith up here, do you think there's potential that he could be that point man on that first Do I think he could? Yes. Do I think they'd give him a chance? No. Even if they kept Latang out there as well and moved someone else off like Rust? They would not pull Rust off to put Ty Smith on the mm-hmm. power play. This team and this coach are committed to winning or losing the way they play, with who does what already. Uh, my final top three very quickly, fictional hockey players. Guys from movies that, uh, that you know, that uh, I don't think any of these guys were based on anyone per se, but my, my number one is Ned Braden from Slapshot. Yes. He went to Princeton. That's what it said in the yearbook, Jim. Xavier uh, Laflamme from Goon. Did you Tremendous. see that? Yeah, that's an easy pick. And just a it? great character, too. Right, right. I loved how, like, how, like uh, until the end when he became a good guy. Right. And it really started for, playing hockey go- good Goon again. too, yeah. as well. Yeah. But I, but I liked how schizophrenic he was. Like, he's he, he's yelling at, at, uh, at uh, what was the character's name, Goon? Oh, uh, Doug. Doug Glatt. Doug Glatt. He's yelling at Doug. He's like, MFing him, cursing him out. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, no, 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 never mind. Sit down, sit down. <laughs> uh, um, and then um, my my third one is probably Adam Banks, the cake eater from Mighty Ducks. Yes. Because they realigned the district to screw him. They did. To bring him in, but he, he turned out to be a, a duck and was pretty productive, as I recall. He got his points, didn't he? Yeah, the only reason that Charlie got the captaincy was because he was doing his mom. Right. Gordon Bombay. That's for sure That's the true. only reason why. That's for sure Banks, true. That C belonged on Banks' chest. Yeah, but he's still getting the glory and the goals, so mm. I didn't feel like he was too hard done by either. And then the other ones I considered were uh, Reg Dunlop, of course. Right. Dean Youngblood. Uh, Rob Lowe's character in Youngblood. Hanson Brothers would be my third line. <laughs> uh, by, by the way, did you ever see Slapshot 2? Never. Okay. That's with the Baldwin brother, right? Stephen Baldwin, Stephen yeah. Baldwin. Let me tell you. If you made that movie with the with a better cast and some more people coming back from the original, they had the bones there in the plot. Like yeah, it was decent. Like the Hanson brothers came back, but like here was the plot basically. Did you ever see it? You never no, saw. No, I it? never saw the second Here's one. Here's the plot. Tell me, this is a, a decent this is a decent plot. There's a hockey team that's constantly on the road, and they're like the Harlem Globetrotters of hockey. And I forget what their name is, but they like you know score all these great goals. They dazzle the crowd. They make the other team look foolish. And the Charlestown Chiefs are the other team. They're the Washington Generals. They're the Generals in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And after a while of being embarrassed, um, the the team says, you know, and Stephen Baldwin's the captain. Bad choice. It should have been somebody yes, better. bigger actor. Yeah, but, uh, maybe Alec. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe Kim Basinger. Uh, but, uh, but, but they said, look, F this. We're going to play for real, and they bring the Hanson brothers back. That's a great sports comedy plot, yeah. not just a good one. I think that could be great. But they just didn't do it right. That no execution wasn't there. Well, like, like uh, for example, when 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 the Hansons came out, like they did like fun spots. They didn't just kill the guys. They should they have to kill the guys. They're the Hanson. That's the Hanson brothers. brothers, right? And plus, you know who owned the whole shebang? You know who the owner of the uh, 
the, the Globetrotters type, the, the whole, you know, the whole outfit, the whole traveling right, circus, right. Gary Busey. That's a good cast. Yes. Yes, I would have I would have recast it with with somebody better than Stephen. Oh, and also there was a love interest for Stephen Baldwin, and it was like a wholesome love interest. You needed the twisted, screwed up love interest like Willie Braden, Ned Braden, and Reg Dunlop <laughs> from Slapshot, where it was just screwy. So, but, uh, but yeah, it, like and I've talked about that with Dave Hansen repeatedly. How if they would have done that right, it's an excellent storyline. Is it rated R as well? No, but they PG, dropped it to PG. PG. Right, so there you go. Same hole that Major League Two fell in. And believe it or not, they made the Hanson brothers even more cartoony. Yeah, I think the Hanson brothers in the first one were about as cartoony as you could get without being silly. They didn't cross that line. It was well, perfect. They did in this, but uh, and then the third one, they were like, they were trying to save the hockey program at a prep school. <laughs> I mean, come on. Anyway, this is uh, the Mark Man Podcast, brought to you by the great people at Bet Rivers, the podcast network. There for Tom Offerman. Let's wrap it up. You're listening to the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, betrivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts.